0: Good morning, everybody. It is uh, a joy to be here with all of you today. It's, it's a privilege to be standing in for Pastor Kevin in these uh, final weeks of his sabbatical. So please, please remember to keep him in prayer this month that, that the Spirit of God would uh, give him refreshment and renewal in body, mind, and spirit. And uh, look forward to hearing when he comes back what God has been speaking to him during this time. So, as as we get started this morning, I have a question for all of us. Is anyone else tired of the constant battles in our society? It feels like every topic is a battle, right? Are you tired of the anger? Are you tired of the division? Are you tired of the name-calling, the bullying, the posturing? Are you tired of... The hatred, the angst, the pride, the power grabs, the lies, the corruption. We could go on and on and on, right? Like this, this is the world we live in. If so, if these things bother you and discourage you and make you want to throw your hands up and cry out to God, then this is a sign that you were created for something different, for something infinitely better. You were created for a world with a different value system, one that is marked by love and joy and peace and patience and kindness and goodness and faithfulness and gentleness and self-control. You were created, in other words, for life in the kingdom of God. If the coarseness and vitriol and injustice of this world makes you unsettled, take this as a sign that you belong to a different world. We live in this world, but we belong to another. And this is the overarching theme that we'll unpack this month. Throughout August, we'll be looking at the four chapters of the book of Philippians, one chapter each week. And I wanna encourage you, uh, if you wanna read through Philippians, you can do that in about 15 minutes. You can just read all, all four chapters write through, or um, if you don't want to do that, read chapter two for next week, because that's what we're talking about next Sunday, chapter two of Philippians. So uh, the book of Philippians is a letter written by the apostle Paul to the followers of Jesus in the city of Philippi just under 2,000 years ago. So this is an ancient document that we're looking at. Just any, anytime we get up here and talk about scripture, this is an ancient document, but it has incredible relevance to our lives today right here in Marquette County, Michigan, because, as we'll see, one of the major subjects Paul addresses throughout Philippians is something that we need to absorb as well, and it's this, how to live on earth as citizens of heaven. How do we live on earth as citizens of heaven? If we belong to another kingdom, and I believe scripture says that we do, but we're still stationed here in this world, then how do we live our lives? How do we go about being God's people in this world with all of its brokenness and disappointments while we await the inauguration of his kingdom? Are we here just to mark time and hunker down and merely survive until that moment comes? Or is there something our king, wants us to do in the meantime? Is there a way he wants us to live until he returns? Is there a a people that he wants us to be or become while we wait? So Paul, in his letter to the Philippians, addresses these concerns and, and, and others. But in the process, he provides principles that we can apply to our lives in this day. And we'll get to those principles, but first we have to take a step back and look at the historical context. I'll rephrase it. We get to take a step back and and look at the context uh, of this letter. All of the letters of the New Testament, so Romans, Corinthians, Galatians, Ephesians, Philippians, and and others, uh, they all have a backstory. There's some kind of relationship that already exists between the person who's writing the letter and the recipients, and there's usually some kind of an event or occasion that precipitated that letter. So, this story, the story involving Paul and the Philippians, the people who live in Philippi, goes back to Acts chapter 16, and we can read about how that relationship began. The book of Acts details the birth of the church of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus has risen from the grave and has commissioned his followers to take his good news to everyone everywhere to the ends of the earth. And Jesus, by this point, has ascended to the right hand of the Father and has sent the Holy Spirit as helper and comforter and power source and guide for the believers. And then, guided and empowered by the Holy Spirit, the followers of Jesus have actually started to obey his command to establish his church throughout the world. And the Apostle Paul, the writer of this letter that we're looking at, has been identified as as the great church planter of the New Testament. So uh, picking up the story in Acts chapter 16, Paul is on his second missionary journey, or we could say his second church planting journey as he's uh, going around. And he's accompanied by a co-worker named Silas and then some others. And they have a plan to go into a region called Bithynia, and the Bible tells us that the spirit of Jesus did not allow them to go there. We don't know the details of that, but they, they understood that even though they wanted to go to one place, the spirit of Jesus prevented them from doing so. So they come to a place in present-day Turkey called Troas. It's a port city. And Acts chapter 16, verse 9 says this, that night, Paul had a vision. A man from Macedonia in northern Greece was standing there pleading with him, come over, to Macedonia to help us. So they decided to leave for Macedonia at once, having concluded that God was calling them to preach the good news there. So here's, here's the sequence. Paul has this vision and he and his companions receive and interpret that vision as a message from God's spirit. They can't get into Bithynia and they say, okay, so this is where God wants us to go. He wants us to go to Macedonia. So they get on a boat, cross the sea to the west toward Macedonia and they eventually arrive in the city of Philippi, which is a a leading city of that region. An important thing to know about Philippi, maybe the most important thing to know about Philippi, is that it was a colony of the Roman Empire. So this region, Northern Greece, Macedonia, had been part of the kingdom of Alexander the Great. The Romans came in, conquered it. And after that conquest, the Romans made two very strategic decisions. The first thing is that they gave land within Philippi to retired Roman soldiers. So the Romans came in, uh, conquered the territory, the soldiers got to retirement age, and the Romans said, you can have some of this land. So that's a great way to keep tabs on a conquered territory when you have your retired soldiers there. And the second thing they did is they granted Roman citizenship to everybody in Philippi. Just, This is something that they did not do often. Usually they would go in, they would conquer a territory, they would station troops there and then extract taxes from them. And we can see this play out as you read the gospels, the context of the ministry of Jesus, the the area of Palestine was under Roman rule. So that's the difference between being citizens and being an occupied territory. So this combination, um, retired Roman soldiers being granted land in Philippi, And then Philippi, the the residents of Philippi being granted citizenship, made the Philippians, as you can imagine, very loyal to the Roman Empire and to the emperor in particular. They understood there was a vast difference between being citizens with the rights and privileges that came with it and being an occupied people. And they were extremely grateful for this. And their gratitude grew and evolved over time into worship of Caesar, the emperor. They, they had come to see the emperor as divine, as a god. Uh, archaeologists have found coins in Philippi that are stamped with the image of Caesar, the, the emperor at the time. We put dead presidents on our coins. They would put images of the current Caesar, the current emperor, on their coins. And the ones they find in Philippi are stamped with a phrase that says, Kaiser Curios," which is translated, Caesar is Lord. Caesar is Lord. Caesar is not just emperor or ruler. Caesar is Lord. And part of, part of this emperor cult is when they gathered together in public, they would sing songs declaring that Caesar... Is Lord and Savior. Do you hear an echo here? So, this is the context. They worshiped Emperor as a God. This is the context that Paul enters after seeing the vision of the man from Macedonia. Acts chapter 16 describes how Paul and company arrived in Philippi. They proclaimed the good news. Um, Paul and Silas spent some time in jail. It's a fun story in Acts 16. And then they established the church there. So that's the background of this letter. This is the historical context. And as we go throughout the month, all four chapters kind of are built on this, this context. So it's good to keep in mind. So now, years later, Paul is sitting in prison in Rome awaiting trial. And he has a lot of time on his hands, so he starts writing letters to the churches that he had helped to start. Uh, most of the time, he's, he's addressing problems in those churches. And one of the reasons that the letter to the Philippians is, is very popular among people who like the Bible is that this is one of the few times where Paul isn't addressing problems that the Philippians themselves have created. You look at some some other uh, letters in the New Testament. He's saying, you're doing this wrong. You need to clean this up. You need to fix this. And this is a friendship letter that Paul writes to the Philippians, this church that he started. And the occasion of the letter is very simple, to say thank you for their financial support of his missionary work, but also to encourage them in the face of the persecution that they were suffering. Remember, the value system of Philippi says, Caesar is Lord— the value of the church says Jesus is Lord. And the thing about lords is you can only have one. So when the church in Philippi stands against culture and declares that Jesus and not the emperor is Lord, they face the wrath of the culture. They face opposition from the culture. So like Paul, these Philippians also are in a way prisoners of the Roman empire. So the believers in Philippi lived in one world, but declared allegiance to the king of another. And you see the parallel to where we are. We live in our world, we live in this world, but we declare allegiance to the king who reigns above all the kingdoms of the earth. So Paul in his letter set out to show the Philippians how to live in Philippi as citizens of heaven. And we get to eavesdrop on this discussion that they're having. And we can learn what it is to live in the kingdom of America, if we want to call it that, as citizens of the kingdom of God. So let's look at some relevant passages in Philippians chapter one. As I said, this is a friendship letter uh, and it follows the template of that specific type of letter from that period of time. We can look at chapter one, and there's a greeting, which is standard. There's a thanksgiving, prayer, these are standard. There's a little news update there. And then there's this encouragement from Paul in verse 27. And we're gonna spend some time digging into this verse. This is Philippians chapter one, verse 27. He writes, above all, and that's, that's the blinking Light here. That's the spotlight shining on this passage. Above all, he's saying this is important. This is central. Above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Then when I come and see you again or only hear about you, I will know that you are standing together in one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the faith, which is the good news. This verse right here sets the tone for the entire letter and encapsulates the idea of living in this world as citizens of heaven. And I want to pull out three points from this verse specifically, three principles that will help us to navigate life in America in the 21st century and all that it entails while anticipating eternity in a kingdom that will never end. The first principle is this. This world is not our home. you encouraged by that? I am. It's all we can see now, but it's not home. When we yearn for something more, when we long for something better, it's an indication that we were made for something more. In First Peter chapter 2, Peter says that we are temporary residents and foreigners in this world world our time here is limited we're here just for a season and then we move on but scripture also declares that while this world is not our home and that we must live as citizens of heaven we are more than mere refugees here we're foreigners but we're not refugees when our family lived in turkey about a decade ago it was the early years of the Syrian civil war. So Syria is at the southeast border of Turkey. And uh, over the course of that war, more than five million people have been forced out of Syria into neighboring countries. And we lived in Istanbul, far northwest corner of, of Turkey, and we still saw thousands and thousands of Syrian refugees pour into our city. So these refugees were forced from the world they knew because of turmoil in their homeland and they found themselves in a foreign environment and had to focus primarily on just surviving. Could they find a place to live? Could they feed their children? Could they gain access to necessary healthcare? Life for refugees is all about survival. But the Bible says that we, the church, the family of God, are not refugees. We have a different status. In 2 Corinthians chapter 5, the Apostle Paul writes, we are Christ's ambassadors. We're Christ's ambassadors. Ambassadors are sent from home, not forcibly removed from home. And we're concerned not with survival, not with hunkering down, but with faithfully representing the one who sent us. We are Christ's ambassadors. And in John chapter 20, we see that Jesus tells his disciples, as the father has sent me, so I am sending you. So not only are we not refugees, we're ambassadors. And we are ambassadors sent specifically by Jesus himself. We're not here on earth just to bide our time until God's kingdom is fully inaugurated with the return of Jesus. He is sending us right now with his message of love and hope and peace and forgiveness, and healing, and fullness, and life. We're not called to live in a bunker, isolated from the world, but to be an outpost of heaven. Christ's church is an outpost of heaven. This world is not our home, but we must not take on the identity of refugees struggling and scratching and clawing for survival because we are ambassadors of the King of Kings. Which leads me to the second point. Our conduct reflects on the one who sent us. In other words, as we live out what it means to be an outpost of heaven, the world sees Jesus in and through us. Rem- remember verse 27 of Philippians 1, Paul writes that the Philippians must conduct themselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. Here's what he, he, what he means by this. He's not saying that we, uh, that our conduct makes us worthy of Jesus and the forgiveness and purpose in life that he offers. He's saying, be, be aware of the reality that you might be the only Jesus that people ever observe. So what are we showing a world that is watching? As Christ ambassadors, we represent more than ourselves. About 100 years ago, give or take, I played on my high school basketball team. Uh, And at the beginning of my freshman season between tryouts and our first game, the principal of the school showed up at one of our practices. And everybody saw him over there, and and they're like, all right, who's in trouble now? So the coach saw the principal there and he paused practice and he huddled us up and he said, Mr. Babula has something he'd like to say to us. And Mr. Babula was a weightlifter and Kay remembers Mr. Babula. And he, everybody listened. Everybody listened to this guy because he has, you know, and he he came over and looked everybody in the eye and said, um, your first road game is coming up. In a few days, you're gonna get on a bus and drive down to Escanaba And I want you to remember that you are not just representing yourself, you represent Westwood High School. Don't do or say anything that will make people think less of the 500 students and the teachers and other staff who make Westwood home. And I think Paul is reminding the Philippians and therefore us of a similar truth that everything we do and say reflects on the one who sent us. This world is not our home, we're ambassadors of Christ representing him by our conduct to a watchful world. Point three is this Jesus gives us both the example and ability to live up to our calling. We might ask, what exactly is conduct worthy of the good news? Paul says, you know, your, con- your conduct, uh, you know, what, what is conduct that's worthy of the good news? How can we act in such a way? that Jesus receives the honor that he's due. How can we know if we're living up to our high calling as his ambassadors? If we as the church are an outpost of heaven, what does that outpost need to look like? And thankfully, Paul addresses that in this letter to the Philippians, uh, plus in another letter that he wrote to the Galatians. And Then we can look at the words of Jesus himself to see what we're supposed to be, what we're supposed to show as an outpost of heaven. So how do we represent King Jesus? There are three things that Paul mentions here in Philippians 1 that I want to focus on. They are unity, righteous character, and overflowing love. And these come right out of the text. So first, unity. Back to verse 27, Paul wants to know that the Philippians are standing together in one spirit and one purpose, fighting together for the, for the faith. And the basis of this unity is For Paul is to keep Christ at the center of everything. If you you read Paul's letters in the New Testament, you see this over and over again. He's always focused on Christ and his message. He doesn't want the Philippians to get caught up in matters that will bring division. For Paul, everything is about Christ and his good news. In this one chapter alone, Philippians chapter 1, Paul mentions Christ by name 21 times. Jesus is always central in Paul's mind. So Paul writes in verses 20 through 22 in chapter one, for I fully expect and hope that I will never be ashamed, but that I will continue to be bold for Christ as I have been in the past. And I trust that my life will bring honor to Christ whether I live or die. For to me, living means living for Christ. And dying is even better. But if I live, I can do more fruitful work for Christ. If you're still breathing, Christ has work for you to do. To live is Christ. He's calling his church to be unified in the mission. This doesn't mean we don't have differences of of opinions or different ideas, but we cannot let our differences distract us from the mission of proclaiming Christ. The second element after unity is righteous character. In Philippians 1.11, Paul writes, may you always be filled with the fruit of your salvation, the righteous character produced in your life by Jesus Christ, for this will bring much glory and praise to God. I want to point out here that we don't earn our place in God's family by living a certain way. We don't earn our place through our conduct. We can never be good enough. But the fruit of our life gives evidence that God's spirit is at work in us and he's forming us into the people he created us to be. So Paul here refers to fruit and righteous character and we we see this spelled out in another one of Paul's letters to the Galatians. In chapter 5 he writes, "But the holy spirit produces this kind of fruit in, your, in our lives. Love, joy, peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, and self-control. Is your life marked by love? Is my life full of joy? Do you have peace and patience in the midst of life's trials? Am I kind to those around me, even when they are unkind. Am I full of faith that God can do what he says he will do? The message of Jesus today is that he wants to give us this kind of fruit, the fruit of righteous character. And then the third element of faithfully representing Jesus is overflowing love. In verse nine of Philippians one, Paul writes, I pray, that your love will overflow more and more, and that you will keep on growing in knowledge and understanding. So what's overflowing love? We turn to the words of Jesus himself. Matthew chapter 22, verse 37, he said, you must love the Lord your God with all your heart, all your soul, and all your mind. Two verses later, love your neighbor as yourself. John 13, 35 your love for one another will prove to the world that you are my disciples. So far, so good. And then we come to this one, Matthew chapter 5, verse 44. But I say, love your enemies. Pray for those who persecute you. This is overflowing love. The word that's described here as love is the Greek word agape. It's different from romantic love, which is eros. It's different from sisterly, brotherly love, which is phileo. Agape is unconditional, self-sacrificial love that prioritizes the good of another. Agape is not about feelings or emotions, but is a conscious decision to act on behalf of another. And this is the love, agape, that Paul prays for in the lives of the Philippians and that Jesus calls for in the lives of all of his followers. Paul wrote, above all, you must live as citizens of heaven, conducting yourselves in a manner worthy of the good news about Christ. This world is not our home. We are ambassadors from a coming kingdom, and our conduct reflects on the king who sent us. And the conduct that our king calls us to is marked by unity, righteous character, and overflowing love. I think there are a couple of dangers when we come to the end of a message like this that addresses conduct and behavior. One is to say, all right, I'm on board. I can see that this is what Jesus is calling me to, so I hereby resolve to try to live this way. And I think that's dangerous because we don't have it within ourselves to live like this. I can maybe love my brothers and sisters. Some days I can love my neighbors, but love my enemy? Like, that's, that's difficult. And if we try to live up to an ideal in our own Willpower and determination will eventually see that we can't do it, and then we might be tempted to give up. And the second danger is to look at the standard, to look at what God is asking of us, and immediately recognize that's out of reach, and then never try. But thankfully, Jesus is not asking us to do this in our own power and our own ability and our own goodness. This is His work. This is the work of the Holy Spirit. Recall the passage from Galatians 5 that lists the fruit of the Spirit. Paul writes, but the Holy Spirit produces this kind of fruit in our lives. We don't produce it. He does. And even here in Philippians chapter 1, Paul writes in verse 6, and I am certain that God who began the good work within you will continue his work until it is finally finished on the day when Christ Jesus Returns. God is the one who began the good work within you. God is the one who will continue his work until he says it's finished. So how do we live on earth as citizens of heaven? Philippians 1 shows us we live in unity with one another. We exhibit the fruit of righteous character and we allow our lives to overflow with love. And all of this is accomplished by the one who began a good work within us. So I want us to ask ourselves, do I I want this kind of life? What would my life, my family, my relationships look like if I made myself available to God in this way? What if I just opened myself up and said, God, give me more of your spirit. Do your work in my life. We're gonna close in prayer, but I want you to know that uh, after I say amen, the altar is open if you want to come and just spend some private time in the presence of God. You can do that. If you'd like to pray with somebody, I'll be here. Pastor Ben can pray others as well. So just make yourself available if that's something you'd like to do. Let's pray. Father, we thank you for the presence of your spirit among us today. We thank you for the privilege of gathering together in your name with brothers and sisters to worship you, to pray to you, to open your word and hear what you have to say to us. Thank you for speaking to us, ministering to our hearts. And thank you for continuing your good work in our lives. We make ourselves available to you. We know that you've placed us here for a purpose and for a season, but we Ultimately, our citizens of heaven, we declare our allegiance to you. Please bless us with the knowledge of your love as we go about our work this week. We pray in the name of Jesus. Amen.